0: Prayer pandemic: a podcast to encourage and sharpen the church through telling stories of Christians whose faith was shaped by sickness, and by praying with fellow believers around the world. I'm Morgan Lee. Perhaps no American community is as polemic as the Puritans. One of its biggest personalities was Cotton Mather, a New England minister whose life is largely remembered in connection with the Salem witch trials. But another key part of his legacy were his scientific interests, specifically Mather's response to a smallpox outbreak in his community, one inspired by his slave Onesimus' life story.
1: Well, Cotton Mather is the descendant of two of New England's most powerful dynasties of ministers and church leaders, uh, the Cottons and the Mathers, hence his funny name.
0: Jan Steverman is professor of the History of Christianity in the U.S. at the Heidelberg Center for American Studies and Faculty of Theology. He is the executive editor of Biblia Americana, Cotton Mather's Bible Commentary.
1: He was first and foremost a highly influential pastor, tending one of the largest congregations in New England, uh, Boston's North Church, which is in what is in the uh, north end of Boston but he was also involved in almost all aspects of ecclesial and political life in the massachusetts uh, colony in addition mather was a if you like a formidable intellectual he published well over 400 works during his lifetime making him the most published author of the entire colonial period obviously he most of these were works on theology ministry church history matters of practical piety, but he also turned his attention to natural philosophy. And um, this is very relevant to what we're going to talk about today, also medicine. Um, And in a number of these fields, Mather is acknowledged as an American pioneer. Sadly, most people only know his name in association with the Salem witch trials, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. for which he wrote an apology but had no direct involvement in the uh, trials. But uh, his life is so much more complex, and his career um, so much uh, richer uh, than that, and I think he's a much misunderstood figure of early American history.
0: You mentioned that he has this interest in science. Mm -hmm. Do you know where that came from?
1: Well, uh, it came uh, from his Puritan background. People always have this view of the Puritans being uh, sort of hostile to uh, science, maybe, but that's not right, especially New England. Puritanism was very open to um, the new natural philosophy, as it was called at the time, and it was certainly on the Harvard curriculum. He was trained at Harvard, and also his father was deeply um, engaged with the new uh, natural philosophy. And... um, uh, Mather was also quite involved with um, sort of uh, British science. Um, he became a member even of the Royal Society, which was one of the leading societies, uh, sort of pioneering the new empirical approach in, in the sciences. Uh, so he followed what uh, these guys did in, in Britain, and he also contributed um, to um, publications of the Royal Society by sending stuff to London. Uh, things that he had observed in in America.
0: What was the general knowledge that people had about disease and germs during this time?
1: Yeah, I mean, people were obviously familiar uh, with uh, a number of these diseases by um, uh, which the communities were struck on a regular basis. Uh, The plague, the smallpox, the measles, and they knew the basic mechanisms of control I mean, there were um, strategies of, you know, uh, putting people into quarantine. I mean, usually in a town like Boston, the diseases came um, by uh, one of the ships. Um, And so often vessels were quarantined in the Boston Harbor for some time. So they had an understanding of contagion. Um, and when someone was identified as infected, he was isolated, um, um, and so on and so forth. But the underlying biology, the biological causes, were largely unknown. But it's interesting that Mather himself um, speculated on nature of um, the smallpox and also um, how it was uh, transmitted. Um In one of his publications, he wrote that it was probably, and I'm quoting him here, an animal-calculated business having to do with um, what in Latin was called an animalculum, a tiny animal. So he actually thought that the cause of the disease were tiny organisms. And he thought he had identified some of those by looking at the pus coming from the infections under the microscope. This is, if you like, a first attempt to formulate something like a proto-germ theory. He had picked up uh, the idea of an an animalculum from a a Dutch scientist known as the father of microbiology and then applied it to this uh, smallpox disease He did not really have, you know, hard empirical proof for this, but it is interesting that he made this a speculation and kind of stumbled upon, um, if you like, a first iteration of what we might call a proto-germ theory.
0: So, Mather lives in this Puritan community and there is a smallpox outbreak that happens there. What is Mm -hmm. the devastation of, of that like?
1: Yeah, it um, it was not the first time that Boston was hit by the smallpox. Um, it's important to understand that this happened on a, on a regular basis. The last outbreak had about had happened about ten years um, earlier, and um, the seventy twenty-one outbreak about which we are talking uh, now is very bad. The overall population of Boston was just under ten thousand it is estimated that um, about 5,750 people were infected and over um, 844 died. And the whole episode lasted for uh, a little more than a year. Um, And then it sort of petered out, probably because there were enough people who um, were immune and then it would take a, a couple of more years uh, for um, a disease like a disease like that to return.
0: So this outbreak happens, and like you were saying, these smallpox outbreaks were so were often very deadly, um, and wreaked a lot of devastation on their communities. I'm curious, how does Mather feel like it's his responsibility to respond to these outbreaks?
1: Yeah, I mean, primarily he responds um, as a minister, and um, like um, most Puritans, he saw um, a catastrophe like that, whether it was a disease or an earthquake, as a sign of divine displeasure and um, a divine judgment. And the primary response to it had to be spiritual, So, he personally engaged in intensified prayer, exercises of personal piety. He preached with uh, new intensity to his congregation, asking them to repent for their sins and and turn around their lives. He was convinced that this was um, the wrath of God upon the community for um, the sins committed, in in particular, um, worldly pride. Um, a vanity, and, uh, and a lack of true religion. But at the same time, um, he was um, um, a very practically oriented man who also thought that it was his Christian duty to do everything in his power um, to help his neighbors and to follow the Christian command of um, doing good upon uh, your neighbor. Since he had heard about um you know, this practice of inoculation, he sort of devised a plan uh, to present to the local community of um, physicians and was trying to give in, convince them to actually uh, try out this experimental um, practice of uh, inoculation to uh, stop the spreading of the disease and uh, sort of um, decrease the number of um, dead.
0: I think at this point in the story, it might be... Helpful for us to know who Onesimus is. Can you tell us a little bit about him?
1: Sure. Um, Onesimus um, was uh, an African slave. Um, We don't know exactly uh, when he was born or when he came to the colony. What we do know is that he was gifted uh, to Mather by his congregation as a household servant in 1706. This was a time when slavery was on the rise in all American colonies, including the Massachusetts uh, colony, even though it wasn't as widespread there as in the southern colonies. We don't know exactly where Onesimus was from. He rather um, referred to his ethnicity as Guraramanti and scholars... Um, Guess that um, he was probably from what is modern-day Ghana. Mather educated him and um, was trying to convert him to uh, to Christianity. And um, the two also um, had conversations about different things. And during uh, a- an outbreak of the measles, um, they uh, apparently were talking, or in the in the aftermath of such an outbreak, they were apparently talking about. Um, um, inoculation practices and in Onesimus showed to Mather a scar he had on his arm from an incision that was part of an inoculation practice um, among um, his people in Africa and that sort of piqued Mather's interest in um, this method of inoculation which came to be known as variolation um, and he um, inquired further into it and, and found uh, more reports about it, also in the transactions of the Royal Society, which I mentioned earlier. There were two reports in the transactions in 1714 and 1716 that uh, talked about this kind of variolation practice among people in northern Africa, but also parts of Asia Minor um, and Constantinople. They basically confirmed what Onesimus um, had uh, been telling uh, Mather in that conversation. And so, he went ahead and devised um, sort of a plan for um, inoculation based on this technique uh, for Boston um, to uh, confront this uh, spreading smallpox epidemic.
0: How does that work? Was he successful when he begins to implement these um, strategies?
1: Well, he presents it uh, to the uh, local physicians um, who, for the most part, um, unfortunately reject it. He only finds one ally, um, a man named uh, Zabdiel Boylston, who uh, begins to... um, um, inoculate people, and Mather also inoculates um, people himself, but for the most part, um, uh, the local physicians and also large parts of the population were adamantly opposed to this. and um, They were, in fact, you know, scared that um, inoculating people in this way would actually help to spread the disease. A vicious sort of public controversy ensues in which both Mather and Boylston were maligned in, in incredible ways for um, um, advertising this and practicing this uh, technique.
0: So, after Onesimus ends up sharing about how his community responded to disease with Mather, do we know what happened to him?
1: Um, a, a little bit um we know um, that um, he refused to convert to Christianity although Mather sort of invested um, uh, quite heavily in his um, sort of education and that caused the relationship to sour um, and around 1716 he um, Mather allowed him to purchase his release, his manumission, as it was called, um, by paying for a new servant. Um, but Onesimus continued to help around the house, it seems, um, but was no longer sort of um, the personal property of, of the Mather um, uh, family. Um, we don't know um, when he died or what happened to him um, thereafter. Um, but it seems like he never converted to Christianity.
0: Do we see this play out at all theologically? Are there any writings from the community at this time or from Mather about how he wrestling with this in regard to his relationship with God?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think um, the negative responses to this um, they f- fall into different camps. I. Um, And one camp certainly is people who are concerned that this is the wrong, if you like, religious response to this crisis. They share Mathers' basic beliefs and, you know, that this is a providential sign of um, God's anger and that this is a divine judgment. And they are agreed on that, but they're not agreed on how to respond to it. They actually um, see this attempt to um, uh, find a cure as uh, blasphemous as, um, if you like, an attempt to meddle with the ways of God, and they emphasize that the appropriate response would be simply to repent, accept uh, God's punishment, and 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 hope uh, for His anger to lift. Um, whereas Mather is sort of. Um, um, has this kind of dual approach, as I said earlier. On the one hand, he also thinks that the primary response has to be spiritual, repentance, prayer. He calls for days of fasting, but at the same time, he also thinks that you know Christianity has to be practical, um, and um, has to be oriented towards doing good um, unto the other. And uh, if God allows us insights into a possible cure we mustn't reject this kind of providential gift but use it for the benefit of our neighbor that's his um sort of approach and and some people see it as 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 dangerous and blasphemous uh, meddling but there's also a, there are also different factions there's um a faction that is simply um trying to undermine the power of the traditional traditional clerical elite um And this faction, if you like, is more of a sign of secularizing tendencies in New England society uh, around that time. It's interesting that the Franklin brothers, James and Benjamin Franklin are um, in that corner. and 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 they are publishing vicious attacks against mather and boylston in in their newspaper and these are not primarily religious religiously Mm -hmm. motivated but really sort of attacks on the traditional clerical elite people Mm -hmm. like mather you know what authority do they have to manage this crisis what are their credentials Mm -hmm. um and that sort of thing yeah
0: well mather's primary credential if I'm not wrong, is that he's a minister,
1: right? Right. I mean, he had studied uh, medicine at Harvard for for some time because it wasn't clear whether he could go into the ministry. Um, And he always sort of kept up with this. Later in his life, he also published a medical handbook. And often it was ministers during this time who were also working as physicians. (laughs) Um, And there were no, um, or very few sort of uh, um, uh, professional physicians, and certainly not in the modern sense, around. Um, So the boundaries were fluid. But yeah, uh, they primarily saw him as an old guard, um, sort of minister, overstepping his boundaries, being meddlesome. And um, they saw this also as an occasion to undermine the authority of this kind of um, old establishment. But for another group, as I said earlier, this was also really a question of the appropriate religious response.
0: What do you think the church could learn from this story today?
1: One lesson here um, is that, um, you know, relying on God... Emphasizing the importance of, um, you know, the role of spirituality in the response to a crisis shouldn't sort of exclude um, um, other means and shouldn't make us uh, skeptical or hostile to science and and, and medicine and certainly shouldn't condemn us to um, passivity. If we're facing a crisis like this, uh, we usually also are facing a communal crisis, And, you know, a crisis like this is sort of revealing the divisions within a community and we have to do everything we can to also address those. A very sort of big part of the Boston crisis is how it threw uh, the Boston community into um, this kind of turmoil and in a war of different factions and uh, That is certainly a sort of um, a lesson we can also take away from that, that we must avoid these kind of divisions and vicious debates uh, in response to such a crisis.
0: Here's the latest coronavirus news in the world and church for the week of May 10th. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres met with religious leaders from around the world in an online meeting on Tuesday. He offered four ways for these communities to help fight the pandemic. One, by fighting false and harmful messages about COVID-19. Two, by condemning violence against women and girls, which he said was on the rise. Three, by lending their voice and their network to work with governments to promote social distancing and hand washing during worship services and funerals. And number four, by supporting young people out of school and their studies. The pandemic, Guterres said, Quote, highlights the crucial role of religious leaders in your communities and beyond. A 40-year-old American missionary pilot died in a crash in Indonesia on May 12th. Joyce Lynn flew her first solo flight for Missionary Aviation Fellowship in March after 10 years of training, planning, and certification. She delivered soap, medicine, COVID-19 tests, and personal protective equipment to missionary clinics in Papua before the accident. There are around 17,000 Catholic churches in the United States. Between 12,000 and 13,000 parishes applied for the Paycheck Protection Plan loans. About 9,000 parishes have been funded with about 6,000 receiving funds through the CARES Act and an additional 3,000 with funds from the fourth COVID-19 relief bill. If you've been listening to this podcast over the past couple weeks, you know that we've been covering the challenges that inner city black churches are facing. We published a deep dive into how COVID-19 is affecting them this past week on our website. To find this article and for more coverage on how the church is responding to coronavirus, please visit the link in our show notes. Because of the global nature of this crisis, we believe it's important to hear from our sisters and brothers in Christ from around the world. My name is Eva Sarsa.
2: I live in Finland and I lead a children's workers network under the Evangelical Alliance. Let us pray. Father, I pray for all the families during this time of pressure. I pray for those families where the parents feel burdened and uh, busy and have to work every day from their homes and also take care of the children and their school. And I pray that there would be grace. I pray for your peace. And I pray for those families that have lost their jobs, who struggle with finances and even with food. I pray that, Father, you would help them. You would send people to help them. And I pray for those families where someone is sick, where they're worried about their grandparents or someone else who's dear to them. I pray for courage, I pray for strength. I pray for your healing hand. And I, Father, I pray that families would grow stronger. They would know deeper how much you love them. They would understand that you are a father. And they would be closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Prayer amid pandemic is produced by myself, Morgan Lee, along with Matt Linder, Mike Kosper, and Eric Petrick. Please help us spread the word about prayer mid-pandemic by sharing about it on social media or recommending it to your friends. The best way for you to help, though, is by reading and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. If you have feedback, please send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com or on Twitter at ctpodcasts. We'll see you soon.